2: from the city that brought you some of the world's most important discoveries and the Sinclair C5. This is the Cambridge Science Festival
3: podcast.
4: This is the second episode of the Cambridge Science Festival podcast and I'm Azzi Katiri from the Naked Scientists. In this episode, Carol Walderman joins us to talk Naked Science.
2: They decided that to be steam-propelled would be far too dangerous so they put a mini jet engine inside the sheep instead.
4: Ben Vassler finds out if you really do prefer your signs funny signed up.
5: Oh yes. <laughs> so it's nice to see a light-hearted approach in something like this. Oh
2: yeah, definitely. Having done a PhD, people take it much too seriously. Sabina
4: Miknovich talks to a young explorer about their DNA.
2: DNA is basically
4: you. You can't you can't really make another one of yourself without DNA. And we'll also reveal what makes a patent official do this.
3: I'm horny! Come again, ladies!
4: But first, Chris Smith caught up with Professor Alison Richard, the Vice Chancellor of the University, getting involved with some hands on science at Science on Saturday.
6: I'm Alison Richard, uh, Vice Chancellor of the University of Cambridge. I think that the Cambridge Science Festival this year is brilliant, but then, of course, it's brilliant every year and how do I know that? You just walk around and look at the faces. The kids are totally intent, but it's also the volunteers who are completely intent talking to the kids. There's just an engagement. Complicated things are made simple and explicable, and even people like me uh, imagine for a brief moment that you actually understand some of this stuff. Now, science festivals are a way of conveying the interest and the magic of science and making children imagine that they could do it.
5: How many people will Cambridge University probably accommodate over this science festival? It's a lot, isn't it?
6: 20 30,000, I think, uh, something like that. I mean, it's, it's many tens of thousands of children and their parents. I mean, let's not forget the parents and the grandparents. There's every age is out and about today, and I, I see grandparents as entranced as their grandchildren. I have a question for you, because I've been, I've been failing to get the answers right on many questions this morning. Do you know how many bones there are in the human body? Adult or baby? at all. Two hundred six. Oh, 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 naked scientist! You know it all. One of the other answers was three hundred and forty-eight. Now I'm a biological anthropologist, and I got the answer wrong. So it's never too late to learn, and uh, that's—I think—that's probably the sort of the message for the grown-ups here. You know, you can always learn more.
5: Um, I I can't tell you how relieved I am that I could answer that question actually, because my cred was surfing on. Brilliant! That's brilliant,
6: brilliant naked scientist. I'm impressed. Now, now, what's this very interesting, colourful Ah. thing? Well, this is uh, the structure of DNA. It's the double helix. It is also a kind of molecular origami. I folded paper to make this. It's hard to describe it if you can't see it, but I'm very proud of it. And it's going to go home and sit on my mantelpiece. It's fun to make it. And again, to me, this is the embodiment of this festival, that it's taking very complex ideas, turning them into something physical that you can actually do and take away and think about. And that's great. You must have quite a
5: collection of these, because last year when we were here, you were walking around with a giant pink balloon that you were telling well, me was some salmonella. Giant, it was
6: not a giant <laughs> pink balloon at all. It was a bacterium. i have forgotten what the species is, but it was definitely a bacterium. And the year before that, I built a robot. Maybe you don't remember, but I still have that, my robot car. So it's great. Where are you heading off to next? Uh, Now I'm off to the university centre where there is a crane construction challenge. I have no idea what that means, but I'll go and find out. It's it's the first year that we've included the university centre, and it's just a measure of the fact that the Science Festival becomes more and more popular with every year. So we've tried to expand it. I think that the next thing is to try to take it out on the road more. We should be doing everything we can to reach out. There is a problem, there's a challenge getting, getting children interested in science. This is a way in which the university and the staff of the university volunteer to make a difference. And that makes me very proud of Cambridge today, I have to say.
4: Thanks, Alison. Now, Dr Mark Looney is a patent official, but nevertheless, he still manages to pack a full lecture theatre and make people laugh. We sent our own mirror centilingum to find out how.
1: I've heard some pretty interesting things about the way Dr. Mark Looney likes to get physics across. He's one of the headliners here at the festival, so let's see what all the fuss is about.
3: Hello, Cambridge! Uh, My name is Dr. Looney. What I'm going to do today is explain the physics of rock guitar. I'm here
1: with Mark Looney, and I've just been watching his highly entertaining lecture about physics. Now, what's the title of your lecture, Mark?
3: It's Rock Guitar in 11 Dimensions.
1: Can you discuss some of the props that you've been using during your lecture?
3: Yeah, well, my me, me main prop is my uh, electric guitar. I also use things like bull whips, air bazookas, little whirly tubes. Just standard uh, science show chauffeur, really, just to get across these ideas about uh, vibrations and sound. the mating song of the blue whale can travel hundreds of miles underwater. In fact, before ship engines came along, two whales might have been able to hear each other almost anywhere in the world. It's so much louder than a jet engine, that it's like comparing a jet engine to someone shouting I'm horny coming
1: you use your guitar quite well to explain vibrations in water. So, what made you kind of come up with that, and why do you think? If you've
3: got some kind of skill, you bring it to a science festival and try and shoehorn it into a science talk, one way or another. That's, that's the best way of doing a talk, really.
1: Well, how important do you think uh, music is for explaining?
3: Well, it's, it, that's the whole point of the talk: is that the, something kind of magical or um, too complex that you might have thought about music. It really is just simple physics. You just put in sine waves together. Adding them up, uh, and that's that's the thing that gets to your ears. So it's it's really trying to just uh, take something maybe artistic or creative and just explain the scientific basis behind it, such that everyone can identify with it. What else could the physics of guitar strings possibly have any relevance to? How about everything, Everything. Everything. String theory! The theory that all the particles in the universe are the different harmonics of the same tiny strings. so tiny that comparing them to the size of an atom is like comparing a guitar string to the entire universe it could be that the universe is made of music or it could be a load of bollocks, I don't know
1: why do you think it's important to encourage people to get interested in science now.
3: Well, people say I'm passionate about science, but I, I don't know whether I am or not. It just seems obvious to me to try and explain uh, your place in the world, explain your existence even. That's, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's important for all kinds of other ways because science uh, helps us increase our health and our wealth, so there's all these bonuses but science isn't just about making better washing machines or tellies or that it's about it's it's primarily an intellectual pursuit to try and explain the world and your place in it
1: so whilst some people get scared about all these revelations you think it's more important to actually know
3: ignorance isn't bliss it might be uh, yeah it might be scary to cast aside some uh, long held uh, deep assumptions but uh, I think people, when you, when you really get to it, people like having their world changed. It's scary to start with, but ultimately it does make you, it makes you a more rounded person. I'm Dr Looney. Thank you, Cambridge!
1: The Naked Scientist's Crazy Facts, number 12. Did you know the call of the humpback whale is louder than Concord? The humpback whale is the world's loudest living creature and can be heard from 500 miles away.
4: Science on Saturday was great for all those involved. Chris caught up with a patroness of the festival, Carol Vorderman, to get her impression of the day.
2: I love it. And it seems busier this year. I don't know whether it was just because it was colder last year that everyone was hiding. But there are thousands and thousands of people who have come down. some really fun things to do. I think it's a great day.
5: Yeah, I notice you've come wrapped up because last year we were shivering. It was about minus ten.
2: It was, yeah. But then, because I was at Cambridge for three years, I know what it's usually like here. So I came well prepared.
5: <laughs> I don't mean this in a rude way, Carol, but the number three crops up a lot with you in Cambridge, doesn't it?
2: Number three, oh, yes, yes, I got a third in my first year and in my second year. And then I got a third in part two as well. So I, I am an official member of the Nines Club.
5: Don't they call it doing a Vorderman or something, getting a third I've, every year? I
2: know. I was told this. Um, a few years ago, somebody came up to Countdown and said, oh, yeah, we call it getting a Vorderman now. Oh, my mother would be so proud.
5: <laughs> so what have you seen today that's, that's really tickled your fancy? Well, I just
2: came this morning. And I saw the men in white from Channel 4, whose mission is to design and build things that make them laugh, really. They had a competition for children from Cambridge schools. They built the winning design, which was this little girl who said she, she was fed up with walking to school and she didn't want to go in the car anymore, so she would like to ride a steam-propelled sheep to school. They decided that to be steam propelled would be far too dangerous, so they put a mini jet engine inside this sheep instead. Put roller skates on its feet. It's a real sheep. No, but there was a little sheepskin over the top of it, driven by horns, that was the steering. We saw it being demonstrated in the car park on a film, and then it was brought in, and it had to shoot across the stage. But it doesn't half stink. All the fuel, whoa! really does smell.
5: It's quite funny, because our programme goes out as a podcast, you get people listening to it all over the world, and this guy wrote to me from America and said, I was in the pub the other day having a wee, and oh! <laughs> the, no no how it gets better. And he said the thought occurred to me is it possible to pee hard enough to knock myself over backwards?
2: I would doubt it, unless he was very very light.
5: <laughs> I think it'd have to be. We actually put this to air and a uh, very nice have physics you done a teacher test? Well, a very nice physics teacher came on from Brighton. He had calculated that if you could do that, you'd be able to pee 90 metres up in the air. So <laughs> he based his calculation on those things that you get at the airport when you walk along them.
2: The travel yes, or Yes, because they is.
5: have to do various calculations to work out how fast or how slow they could stop them to make sure people wouldn't fall ah, over. Ah, good so point. So they can work out how much you have to upset someone's balance before they'll topple over.
2: Oh, right. So
5: I wonder if the men in white have done that for the sheep.
2: That would be a good idea. They'd love to experiment with something like that. The Cambridge Science Festival, supported by the Wellcome Trust. For more information, go online at cambridgescience.org.
4: One of the aims of the festival is to make science accessible for the younger generation. So there are loads of hands-on experiments to let children have fun while learning. We sent our own Sabina Miknovic to one of these events to find out about bottling DNA.
1: I'm in the biology zone where there's lots of interesting stands. The first one I'm going to have a look at is one way you get to extract your own DNA and take it home with you. And I've got Ashley with me who's going to tell me a bit about what you do on the stand. We're trying to kind of bring science to the public and make it a more comprehensible thing for for especially children. DNA and genes are really hard for little kids to understand because they can't see anything, it's just pictures. So we have them do cheek swabs we can extract cells. And then we break open the cells so then eventually we can precipitate the DNA so you can see it. So it brings uh, the, the principle of double helix and how genes make you into a more viewable form. What's your name?
3: I am called Charlotte and I'm nine.
1: And uh, you've been on this stand here extracting your DNA. Yeah. And why did you want to do that? Because
3: I wanted to see the little strands of my DNA. Tell
1: me a bit about your DNA.
3: There's uh, one little strand which is about one centimeter long. Oh, wow. And it's
1: completely clear. Have you learned anything about... DNA and what it does and what it is?
3: Uh, well, I've learnt that it, it's very small and that DNA is basically you. You can't you can't really make another one of yourself without DNA. Simon aged
1: eight. You've been on this stand extracting your DNA.
4: Yeah. What have you done so far? I've made one of them but it fell over
1: before I put on the lead. Oh dear. Are you going to have another go? Yeah. Brilliant. And uh, what have you learnt about DNA? It's
4: everywhere. In people's bodies, animals, plants. Almost everywhere that lives.
1: Did you know that the Cambridge Science Festival is the largest free science festival in the UK? Over 20,000 people are expected to come to 115 events in 45 locations over two weeks. There are 100 event coordinators involved, relying on 1,000 volunteers to run all these fun activities. And we cover everything from archaeology to zoology.
4: Now, how do you like your science? Hard-boiled or funny side up? We sent Ben Masler to meet Mark Abrahams. He's a Guardian columnist and also the host to the Ig Nobel Award Ceremony. He definitely likes his running.
0: Most prizes are for the very best of something or the very worst of something. Best or worst doesn't matter for the Ig Nobel Prizes. Important or worthless, that too doesn't matter. All that matters is you've done something that first makes people laugh, and then make them think. Why is it that you've
5: decided to come to see the Ig Nobel Prize show? Uh, We've actually seen it before,
4: um, a couple of years ago, and we were really entertained, so we wanted to come and see it again, see if there's anything new.
0: Uh,
5: Because I believe it could be quite amusing.
0: Yeah, I think, yes, the idea
5: of joke science is is appealing to me, yes. yes. So I'm looking forward to this, yeah.
0: The Ig Nobel Prizes are given every year. We started doing this in 1991. We give ten of these a year. Now, because it's an awards ceremony, there are lots of people who have to give speeches. They're always asked to keep it very short, but everyone has a few extra things they want to say, and before you know it, it's the next day and somebody's still talking. We used to have that problem, but we don't anymore. We solved it with something we call Miss Sweetie-Poo. She's a really cute eight-year-old girl. Whenever Miss Sweetie-Poo feels that someone has talked long enough, she walks all the way across the stage up to the person who's at the microphone, and she says to that person, "Please Please stop. I'm bored. Please stop. I'm bored. Please stop. I'm bored. Please stop. I'm bored. And it works.
5: Do you think we're a bit too serious about science? Yeah, I think we are quite a bit of the time. I think this is a good example of how it should be. Oh, yes. (laughs) So it's nice to see a light-hearted approach in something like this?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Having done a PhD, people take it much too seriously. (laughs)
0: And now, very quickly, here's a look at the most recent Ig Nobel Prize winners. The Ornithology Prize was awarded to Ivan Schwab and the late Philip May for exploring and explaining why woodpeckers <laughs> don't get headaches. The Ig Nobel Peace Prize, which some consider the most prestigious of the Ig Nobel Prizes, was awarded to Howard Stapleton of Method Tidfill for inventing an electromechanical teenager repellent. <laughs> It's a machine that makes annoying, high pitched noise that can be heard by teenagers, but probably not by older people. He was honored for a double achievement. The second part was to take that same technology and sell it to teenagers in the form of telephone ringtones. So the teenagers can take their telephones to school and receive telephone calls without their teachers being aware of it. <laughs> the Ig Nobel mathematics. Prize was awarded to Nick Svensson and Piers Barnes for calculating how many photographs you ought to take with a group of people so that nobody's eyes are closed. (laughs) The Ig Nobel Literature Prize was awarded to Daniel Oppenheimer for his report called Consequences of Erudite Vernacular Utilized Irrespective of Necessity, Problems with Using Long Words Needlessly. (laughs) The Ig Nobel Medicine Prize was awarded to Dr. Francis Fesmeyer of Tennessee for his medical case report called Termination of Intractable Hiccups with Digital Rectal Massage. Is there anyone here who needs this concept clarified? Is there anyone here who has hiccups at the moment?
5: The Ig Nobel Awards show was great fun. The guest speakers covered such strange and fantastic topics such as famous dead birds and 17th century buskers and the perils of having too long a penis and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It made me laugh out loud, and then it made me think. And one of the things it made me think about was whether or not we are too serious about science. A lot of the time it can seem very dry and very boring, but
0: Please really stop. it's a very serious I'm topic. It's something Please we should stop. take seriously. I'm bored. And something that Please we really stop. Laugh I'm bored. Please stop. I'm bored. Please stop. OK, I'm I'll bored. stop. Well,
4: thankfully the Cambridge Science Festival has a lot more to keep you entertained. But if wacky and wonderful science is your thing, you can find out more about the ignobles at improbable.com. That's it for this episode, but join us again in a few days' time when you get to find out what all this is about.
5: Green pink legs, black hands, and blue head and brown beak.
4: In the meantime, you can find out more about the festival at cambridgescience.org big thank you to all of our contributors, the Naked Scientist team, Ben Basler, Sabina Mcknovich, Mira Centelingam, Dave Ansell, and Anna Lacy, and to the Wellcome Trust for their support. This program was produced and presented by me, a Kateri, and the editor was Chris Smith.